Let's begin as we have the last couple of weeks. We're going to read Matthew 7, 1 through 6. We're going to read all six verses so you get the big picture. But again, we're just going to be focusing on verse 6 this morning as we study dogs and hogs. Matthew 7, starting in verse 1. Thank you, my brother. <clears throat> Matthew 7, starting in verse 1. Jesus says, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way that you judge others, you will be judged. And with the same measure you use, it'll be measured back to you. And remember, we talked about that two weeks ago. The, this, this self-righteous condemnation of others, this hypercritical spirit. Jesus says, you can't be that way. You can't do that. And then, of course, last week we looked at these verses, verse 3 through 5. He says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and you pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck of dust from your brother's eye. Again, last week we talked about that. And then finally, our verse for this morning. Jesus says, do not give to dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and then turn and tear you to pieces. Now, last week, you might remember, we got into this discussion a little bit about the fact that there is a difference between popular theology and biblical theology. There's a difference between what's popular in our thinking about God and, and what's biblical and right in our thinking about God. And, and, and we're going to run into that a little bit this morning. And I want to tell you this morning, this is one of those passages that popular theologians hate. Popular theologians don't like this. And when you say popular, what do you mean? Well, if you go home today and turn on the TV, you're probably not going to hear this passage preached, okay? You go home and turn on the TV. But why? Because when we do that, popular theology is all about God's love. It is all about God's grace. It is all about God's marvelous plan for your life. It's all about the fact that God wants to prosper you. Now, hear me. You can find all those things in the Bible, and they're all very important and encouraging, and we need them. We do. But when we need them, we also need them with the truth and the balance of biblical theology, which teaches that not only is God love and not only does he provide grace and not only does he have a plan for your life and not only does he want to prosper you, but he's also holy and just and righteous. Right. And he doesn't just want to meet you in your sin and hang out with you there, but he wants to meet you in your sin and call you up out of that sin. That's a God that loves, not the God that wants you to stay in your sinful condition, but the God that will meet you in your sinful condition and call you up out of it. And so you've got to have the full portrait. So this morning we strive to provide for you a biblical portrait of what this verse means. And I've got four things I want to share with you as we look at Matthew chapter seven, verse six. We'll read the verse together one more time and we'll jump in with both feet. Jesus says, do not give to dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and then turn and tear you to pieces. Four things I want you to see this morning. The first is extremely important. Number one, I want you to understand this morning that the gospel is of great value. The gospel is of great value. Now, when we study scripture, how do we study it? We always study it in 
context, right? So when we run across a, a weird passage like this, and now Jesus is talking about dogs, and he's talking about pigs, and he's talking about pearls, you've got to ask yourself, well, I wonder, has Jesus used this terminology before? And I'm going to ask you this morning, the question, to the answer to that question is, yes, he has. And so let's, let's turn together, Matthew chapter 13, uh, Jesus is going to talk about this pearl, and what this pearl might mean, and, and what does he mean that we're not supposed to throw our pearls before dogs and, and hogs, Matthew 13, starting in verse 45. Matthew chapter 13, starting in verse 45, he's telling a, a parable about the kingdom of heaven. A parable about the kingdom of heaven. And this is what Jesus says. He says again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, get that, of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and he bought it. When he found one of great value, he, he went around, he sold everything he had and he bought it. And guys, that, that's what Jesus is saying. He says the kingdom of heaven is of great value. And when you find the kingdom of heaven, you forsake all other things other than the kingdom of heaven. You're willing to get rid of everything in pursuit of God. And, and, and guys, the gospel is that valuable. And I think sometimes as Christians, we forget that we are living in a dark and dying world. And, and, and in this dark and dying world, you and I actually have the cure. We have the cure to the disease that is killing all of mankind. See, the disease is sin, and the cure to sin is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the pearl that we have discovered, and it is of great intrinsic value. The gospel of Jesus Christ, this message of reconciliation, think with me just about it for a second, because it's crazy that through Jesus, God, the God of the universe, who is holy and just as righteous, through Jesus, God is making men and women right with himself. That, that, that God is reconciling. You think about that, right? You know what that means. To reconcile, it, it's an accounting term. You follow me? It means that we've zero balanced things, doesn't it? It means that we had a great debt and we had a huge debt. And get this, it's not us that's reconciling the books, but it's God that is reconciling the books through Jesus. And he's taking our debt... And he's erasing it and making it zero. Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to the Father. That's the message of the gospel. That's the power of the gospel. That's the importance of the gospel. In Christ, there is forgiveness and freedom. In Christ, there is life and purpose and power. That's what we have. That's the pearl. This gospel of Jesus is valuable, friends. It's of great, great worth. I tell you this morning that I believe it's worth giving your life for. I tell you this morning that I believe wholeheartedly that, that it's, it's worth going to the nations for. I would tell you wholeheartedly that I believe that this gospel is worth every bit of rejection you may face as you share it. I tell you I believe that this gospel with my whole heart is certainly worth sharing. As we study this, this strange passage, the first thing you have to know is that if you're a Christian, what you possess, this gospel, it's of great value. It's of great value. It's a pearl. Not just any pearl, friends. It's a pearl of great worth, of great price. That's what we possess in Jesus. So let's start there. Number two. Number two. I want you to see this morning, not only is the gospel of great value, but delivering the gospel is dangerous and it demands discernment. You know, the great thing about Jesus is he never pulls any punches, does he? 
He doesn't say, hey, I've given you this great thing and just go out. Don't worry about it. You'll be fine. No, Jesus isn't like that. Jesus just is a straight shooter. He says, listen, friends, uh, I, I want to warn you about some things. Now, I, I like how he says it here. He says, listen, don't give to dogs what is sacred. Don't throw your pearls to pigs. If, if you do, they may trample them under their feet and get this and then turn and tear you to pieces. I said this in the 830 service. This ain't your grandmama's pig. OK, <laughs> this this isn't the pig that you bathe with buttermilk and take to the state fair. This is that wild boar kind of thing. Jesus is saying, listen, there's some wild boars in this world and, and you got to be careful when you're throwing your pearls before them because they will turn and tear you to pieces. Now, the best parallel text I can find in the Bible for this is an account found in Matthew chapter 10. So let's turn there together. I want you to hear the warning that Jesus gives his disciples. Now in Matthew 10, he's sending his disciples out, uh, just the 12. This isn't the 72, this is just the 12. He's saying, listen, you 12 men, I'm going to send you out. And he sends them out with a message, by the way. And that message is that the, the kingdom of God is near. Okay, So the message is basically, repent. Okay, repent for the kingdom of God is near. Now, that's kind of like the early gospel. That's really what it is. So Jesus is sending them out with kind of what we're talking about today, the gospel. And this is what he warns them with, friends. I want you to hear this in verse 16 of of chapter 10 of Matthew. He says, listen, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Do you hear the danger there? I'm going to send you out like sheep among wolves. Now, listen, not only are sheep not very smart. They're, they don't really have any great defenses, do they? I mean, the skunk can at least turn tail and run. You following me? I mean, but the sheep among wolves, just pretty defenseless. Doesn't have a lot to do. And he said, that's who you are. He said, you're going to be sheep among wolves. And he says, therefore, get this, be as shrewd as snakes. That means intelligent and wise. It does not go, it doesn't mean go be a snake, okay? It says, be as shrewd, be intelligent, as wise as, as a snake. But get this, but be as innocent as a dove. Jesus says, listen, I'm going to send you out. I'm going to send you out. I want you to go preach the kingdom is coming. But I want you to know it's dangerous. It's dangerous. You're going to be like sheep surrounded by wolves. And so you're going to have to use every bit of wisdom that I provide you with. You're going to have to keep your wits about you. And guys, the same is true today. The gospel is is dangerous and we've got to use discernment. And the point is that the gospel is of great value to some, but of course it also poses a great threat to others. It poses a great threat to others. It's dangerous. Therefore, discernment is necessary. Now, maybe you hadn't thought about the gospel as being dangerous lately. I'd encourage you to study your Bible. Brother, the gospel is dangerous. It will wreck your life in the most glorious way. Amen. I don't know about you, but I had a plan and my plan didn't look anything like this, right? God's plan is so much better. His his plan is so much better. But but when you're a sinner and you're living in that sin and that gospel hits you in the face, it's dangerous. It it, it comes to you and it doesn't come to you and say, hey, listen, I'm popular theology. I want to come be a part of your life. you, You just compartmentalize me. Jesus doesn't say compartmentalize me. He says, lose yourself and come get me. You want me? You gotta die. That's the gospel. And that's dangerous, isn't it? Because we like our lives and we like our little compartments and we like everything organized the way we got it. But Jesus, no, I've got something for you. And when we do die, what's it like, man? It's great, isn't it? It's glorious. Could you speak of the glory of your life right now, back when you were a sinner? Could you have even imagined what Jesus would do with you? You couldn't have, couldn't have even fathom. Couldn't have even fathom. It's what we have in the gospel. But the point, guys, 
The gospel is of a great value, but it does pose a threat. It's dangerous. It demands discernment. Now, the first two were easy. So here we go, number three and four. You ready? This is where we get tough. This is where, now listen, if you have sat at any point in your life, either in front of the TV or at a church where you've sat under the teaching of popular theology, you're not going to like it. Just deal with it, okay? Because we're, we're going we're gonna to present a biblical framework for this. But I want you to hear this because this doesn't set well with what we think. Thank goodness we are not God. Here's what Scripture says, Okay? There will be some that are unworthy of the gospel. There will be some that are unworthy of the gospel. He says, don't cast your pearls before dogs and hogs. They'll trample them and then they'll turn on you. Again, the best parallel we can find is in Matthew chapter 10. So let's turn there and read it starting in verse 11. Remember, he's sending out the twelve. Listen to his instructions. He says, whatever town or village you enter... Search for some, I, I want you to underline this. Underline this word. This word disturbs me. It should disturb you. He says, search for some worthy person there and stay at his house until you leave. As you enter the home, give it your greeting. If the home is, underline this one too, also very disturbing. It says, if the home is deserving, let your presence rest on it. But if it is not, see, Underline that as well. You see, that means that there can be a home and there can be an individual that is not worthy, that is not deserving. You following me? This is Jesus' instruction. If you find a home or an individual that is worthy, a home that is deserving, then let your peace lie there. But if they are not, hear the instruction, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, shake the dust off your feet when you leave that home or that town. I tell you the truth, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Whew. There are going to be some that are unworthy. Jesus teaches it clearly. He says there are going to be some people that you're going to come to and they're going to reject you. And what do you do with that rejection? You shake off the dust and you go on. He says it this way, Matthew chapter 15. Maybe you remember this story. Matthew 15, Jesus is, is uh, hanging out with his disciples and the, the Pharisees come and they challenge him. Uh, because his disciples, get this, have decided to eat without washing their hands. All right. They, they, they've eaten without washing their hands. And they, they're not just country folk, okay? They, 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 oh my goodness, how dare these Jewish guys, how dare they, they eat without washing their hands? Listen, I don't care if, if you eat without washing your hands. As long as you wash them when you come out of the bathroom, guys, we're fine. Alright? We're fine. We can shake and hug and all those things. Alright? But, but, but listen to what Jesus says. Now, now, so, so Jesus begins to interact with him and he says to the Pharisees, you know, there's nothing that comes from outside of a man that can make him unclean. He said, there's not a single thing you can eat or drink. That It's not the stuff from the outside that makes you unclean. He says, it's what's from the inside that makes you unclean. From the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. That's a different passage. But he's saying, from, from the depths of who you are is where sin comes from. It comes from the inside out. 
He's teaching the Pharisees this now. Now, the disciples notice the Pharisees get really upset. <laughs> so Matthew 15, 12, they go to Jesus and they literally say, Jesus, did you notice the Pharisees were very upset with this teaching? You know what Jesus says to, to his disciples that are concerned about the Pharisees? He says, you leave them. They're blind gods. Leave them alone. Just stop wasting your time with them. They're blind. Stop it. You leave them. Whew. What else do we see in the New Testament? How about the book of Acts? The book of Acts, and I'm sorry we're skipping around a little bit this morning. I want you to see a complete picture. Acts chapter 13, uh, starting in verse 44. And we're going to read a little bit about the ministry of Paul together this morning. Acts 13, starting in verse uh, 44. It says, on the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. Wouldn't that be cool? Church Sunday, Elgin, about 10,000 people show up. How are we going to fit them in the building? We ain't having church in the building today, all right, friends? We're going to stand out in the park. Wait, there's not enough room in the parking lot. We covered the whole city block. We had to knock on churches and knock on homes. We just hooked up a, a, a little daisy chain stereo system so everybody could hear the gospel. That'd be glorious. The whole city shows up. It says nearly the whole city. And when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and they talked abusively against what Paul was saying. Then Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly. Hear what they said. We had to speak the word of God to you first. And hear this. This is a hard word. Since you reject it and do not consider yourself worthy of eternal life. We now turn to the Gentiles. Now, now here, here's the point I want you to see. When I say there are going to be some unworthy, I'm not deeming them unworthy. You're not deeming them unworthy. God's not being a big meanie. They are deeming themselves unworthy because they are rejecting the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're literally saying, I don't care about the work of the Son of God. I don't care that God has sent a solution to my sin problem. I could care less that God stepped out of eternity and, and, and put on flesh and walked in my shoes so that I could be made right. I don't care about any of that. And in their rejection of the gospel, they're actually deeming themselves unworthy of eternal life. That's the biblical portrait. That's tough. That's hard. But that's the picture, guys. I need you to understand there are going to be some people in this world that that's how it's going to end for them. That they're going to choose to reject God. No matter what we do, no matter what we say, they are going to choose to reject God. They themselves, they themselves are going to deem and make and declare themselves unworthy and undeserving of the work of Jesus Christ because of their rejection of him. Do you see it? It's a hard one to swallow, but we're going to have to swallow it. We're going to have to come to grips. And that brings us to the fourth one, okay? Fourth thing you need to see. A lot of application here for you in a second. The fourth one I want you to see is that there may, uh, or there are times that we may have to move on with our message. There are times that we may have to move on with our message. Again, back in Matthew um, 10 and, and 11, uh, Matthew 10, 11 through 12 or whatever there. Uh, remember what happens. He says, listen, if, if they're undeserving, if they don't, if they don't welcome you, what do you do? 
You shake the dust off your sandals and you move on. That was the the, the instruction. We just read Acts 13, right? And, and since you rejected the gospel, we've now, what, moved on to the Gentiles. Since you deemed yourselves, we moved on. I, I'll share with you one more. Acts chapter 18. Acts chapter 18, verse 5 and 6. Um, Again, with Paul, it says, when Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching and testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. Okay, he went to the Jews first. He went, by the way, these are the people that he knows are most likely going to reject it. But he goes to them first anyway. So he goes to the Jews first and then look at this verse six. But when the Jews opposed Paul and get this, they became abusive He shook out his clothes in protest and he said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I am clear of my responsibility. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. He moved on. He he, he moved on. And and I want to share with you some some just real practical examples of this. Uh, If you've been here for a while, you know. I'm big on relational evangelism. I think that God puts you where you are on purpose. I don't believe that in cosmic accidents that somehow you accidentally ended up in Elgin, uh, that you accidentally walked through the doors today. God places us where we are on purpose. And that purpose is, is to make disciples according to Scripture. That we're not just here to float around, believe it or not, and enjoy watching uh, you know sports on TV or this or that. We actually are, are called in all of life and everything that we do to be about disciple making. Uh, that doesn't mean that you can't enjoy things in life. But it just means our whole goal, our whole focus, is really making disciples. So God puts us where we are on purpose. And so I'm big on this relational evangelism. And so I always turn to Andrew. Um, since, since my very beginnings in ministry, been doing this almost 14 years now, always talked about Andrew. And here's why. Because I think Andrew is the, the epitome of what every Christian should be at the very least. Okay? If we're all called to make disciples, we, we all need to at least be doing what Andrew did. And here's what we find Andrew. Andrew, we don't have a single place that Andrew preaches a sermon. We know not of it. We don't, we don't have any account that Andrew was this great thinker about God like Paul. You know, you read Paul, I'm like, Paul, come on, man. Use a comma, brother. Help me out. Help me out. Shorter sentences, Paul. You know, it's like when I love, I love, uh, I, I read a lot of John Piper, but I read his sermons. Because his sermons are like for the common man, right? You read his book and it's like, oh, dear gosh, I just read that paragraph six times and I still need a dictionary, you know? And, and so, so listen. This is this is kind of what we're talking about. So uh, we don't have that with Andrew. We don't we don't have any record of that. Here's what we know with Andrew. Andrew sees Jesus and he says, look, there's the Messiah. And so Andrew goes and gets his brother Peter. And this is what Andrew. He's not this great thinker about God. He just goes, listen, I, I have the Messiah. Now, Jesus, here's my brother. He's a wreck. This guy. I mean, he is hot tempered. I mean, he, he's going to blow off steam. He, I, he, he's inconsistent. I don't know what you can do with a wreck like my brother. But if you're the Messiah, here you go. And Jesus says, on this rock, I'll build my church. Right? Small problem in a big field. About 10,000 people. There's nothing to eat. Jesus has been teaching all day. Jesus says, well, listen, what are you going to give them to eat? It'd take over a year's wages. And, you know, that, that money's not there because Judas has been keeping the, the pocketbook. But uh, anyway, and so, so they, well, what are you going to do? What does Andrew do? He doesn't go try to figure out where the local store is. He doesn't go grab a net. He just kind of works through the crowds and says, well, well, listen, here's a guy, this little kid, he's got five loaves and two fish. And again, Jesus, I don't know what you will do with five loaves and two fish, but you're the Messiah. So here's five loaves and two fish. Do the Messiah thing. 
He feeds over 10,000 people that day because, you know, they didn't keep track of men and women or children and women back then. And so, you know, man, Jesus and 12 basketfuls of leftovers, right? This is what Andrew is constantly doing. He's just bringing people to Jesus. Guys, I'm going to submit to you that as Christians, this is the minimum standard. This is the minimum standard. If you believe that Jesus is the Messiah, then bring people into his presence. You don't have to be able to explain the whole gospel. You don't have to have every ounce of scripture memorized. You can just say, hey, I know the Messiah. You want to meet him? Follow me. You, you can just grab somebody and go, listen, they're a wreck. I don't know what you can do with them, God. But here I'm bringing them into your presence. And by the way, that's what happens when you gather for corporate worship. God promises when two or more are gathered in his name, that he's also there. And so we bring them into their presence. And so here's the deal. I want you to understand this. My, my whole life, I've tried to preach this. I've tried to encourage people to do this. I, I, I was very difficult and, and hard to deal with probably as a student minister. I was very difficult and hard on my kids because my kids went to schools where they were literally in schools of, you know, their senior class was four or five hundred people. And every Wednesday we would have church and I would ask them how many, especially my leadership kids, how many people did you invite today? And, and you would be amazed. Some of them would say two, some of them would say none. And I would look at them and say, are you kidding me? So if I'm going to be hard on my former kids, let me be a little hard on the adults here today. How many people did you invite to church this week? What about last week? What about the week before that? What about the week before that? If, if, if this is the minimum standard and, and, and this is what God can use to do great things for his glory and for his kingdom, then we should start there, right? And so here's what I would drive home with them. And usually this is what it came down to. I'd say, listen, how, so, so, so what you invited two people to church today and only two people said, well, these are the people I've really been praying for, Jason. I'm like, that's awesome. And I said, let me ask you this question. How many people did you encounter today? I said, well, I, I, I don't know. How many people are in each of your classes? About 30. How many classes do you have? Six. It's 180 people. How many people would you say walk down your hallway? How many people eat lunch in each lunch period? Oh, I don't know. There's probably four or five hundred in each lunch. There's four lunches. We start doing this math. I said, so, okay. So you encountered that many people today and you only invited two why? Well, these are the two that I've been praying with and I invited them, but then they kind of mocked me and they made fun of me. Here's my point. This is what I would say to them. And this is what I'm going to say to you. Please don't play the role of God. You are not God. God is God. God has just told you to go and make disciples. And part of making disciples is bringing people to Jesus and in his presence, right? That's the minimum standard. And so here's the deal. If you can trust God to be God and you'll just do your responsibility and you'll just go out and, and the people that you, you run into just say, hey, I know the Messiah. <laughs> you want to come meet him? Then God will be God and he'll take care of the ones that you specially have a tender place and a tender heart for. Okay? That's the point. Guys, there are some people in your life that you are going to pray for and pray for and pray for. And most Christians, I know this is where we are. We're not making disciples. We're not affecting the world because we're focused on two people. Maybe they're family members. Maybe it's a neighbor. But we're praying for these people. We're only ministering to these people. We're walking around with blinders on, just assuming that everybody else has somebody praying for them. And the truth is that the masses don't know Jesus. It's time to take off the blinders. It's time to admit that the whole world is living in sin and that without the answer and the cure, his name is Jesus Christ, that all those people will indeed end up in hell. That's the tough teaching. So I, I'm just going to 
encourage you, maybe it's time to move on from your two people. Maybe it's time to expand your territory, right? And to start talking to the lady that checks you out at the store and your waitress and the person at work and your five neighbors, you know, as they are all in different direction. Maybe it's time that we expand our territory a little bit. I'll give you one other example of what this looks like and how it's difficult. We're in Laredo over spring break this year. We're talking to people in a park, and I run across a man that's not, not just Catholic. I mean, he's, he's Mexico kind of Catholic. He's, he's religious. He doesn't have a personal relationship with Jesus. We're talking about how Jesus is the only way. He's talking to me about Mary and Guadalupe, and he's asking questions about candles. And we go through this whole thing, and he begins kind of mocking us for our simple belief in Jesus. There's a little bit of abuse going on and and so i'm there and i think i think travis and caleb were there and i think cameron jones kind of came up and so it became very evident in my spirit this man wasn't really there he didn't really care what we were doing he wanted to have a little kind of debate but he wasn't going to change his mind and so i basically had to close the conversation i said listen i'm so glad that we got to meet you we're going to be back here next year i pray that i get to meet you again and i hope everything we've talked about um keeps you up tonight just kind of left and so we kind of walked and i think cameron was like why, why why didn't we just and i said cameron i need you to look around see the park was full of people full and all those people needed to hear the gospel not just the one man that was making fun of us and abusing us do you see where i'm going your life is full of people it's not just the one or two people that you keep working on. It's full of people. Not just the one or two people that are on your prayer list. It is full of people. That's why with all my heart I believe that every church. Be standing room only every Sunday. If we get this. Everything radically changes. Everything radically changes. Alright. So what do you do with a message like that? I'll give you three things. Because you know three things makes it sound easy and simple. Ready? Number one, you share your wealth. What is the wealth? It's the gospel. Say, Pastor, I'm not super comfortable. Remember, 101 is inviting, brother. This is minimum standard. So you say, I'm not quite comfortable sharing the whole gospel. Okay, how about starting with something like, hey, I know the Messiah. I want to come worship him. Right? I mean, just, just start. Hey, you want to come to church? That's my challenge to you. Invite people to church and not just one person. Don't come back next week. Hey, pastor, I did so good. I invited one person this week. I'm, I'm excited that you are. That's awesome. Okay, I, I'm very excited about that. That's great. But listen, our, our task, not just your task, our task. I'm the pastor. There's some, there's some weeks I'm really good about this. I invite everybody. My wife is walking around like, dear goodness, does he have to talk to every person about church? Every person. There's some weeks, but there's some other weeks I'm just like you. It's been a long day. I'm frustrated. I'm fed up. I'm sunburned. Just give me my stuff. Thanks. I'm out of here. Right? All people. I need God to expand my territory. I need him to expand my vision. I need, I, I, I need it. I need it. And if I need it, I bet you need it too. Okay? So here, make this your commitment. I'm going to become a sharer. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. Remember, minimum standard is inviting. So start there. Invite, invite everybody you know to church. And you say, well, I'm going to do it. And what if only one person shows up? Well, that's one more person that showed up last week, right? Okay. And then when they're active and they're involved, you get to start sharing Jesus with them, talking to them about the Lord. Okay. Just start. By the way, don't just do it next week. This should be a daily thing. Okay. All right. Number two, ask for wisdom. 
One of the greatest promises of Scripture for an idiot like me, and I, I don't have any qualms about saying I am, I'm the lead idiot in the room, okay? Okay? Anyone who lacks wisdom can ask for it, and it'll be given to them generously without finding fault. I claim that sucker many, many times a day. Many times a day. Ask for wisdom. As you're praying, God, I, I, I want to be used by you. God, I want to speak to people. God, I don't know what to do. What do you do? You ask for wisdom. God, please, please help me. Please help me. Be with me. God will give you the discernment. How do I know if, the, if, if this is a person's a dog or a hog, right? How do, how do I know? Am I, am I wasting my pearl here? You pray. God's going to give you the discernment. I'll give you one of the, the keys. Remember, and, and somebody said, Pastor, I don't understand. So what do I do exactly? How do I do this? Are there some people I just shouldn't share with? I said, here's my approach, okay? And I think it's biblical. Paul went to the people, even the people that he knew were pretty much going to reject him. So my, my approach is everybody gets the gospel. Everybody at least once, right? Everybody. And so, so then when that person becomes abusive, that's my red flag. When they start to mock me or ridicule me or make fun of me, you know, I'm kind of like, okay, their heart's probably not too soft for the gospel. Now, and I like apologetics. I can argue with people. But again, what am I arguing about? Okay, I could spend three hours arguing with somebody that's never going to change. Or I could spend three hours talking to 30 people that might actually be looking for the Lord right now at this period of time. You follow me? It's a big world. We live in a big city. Don't think Elgin's a small town, brother. We're growing. And as we grow, there are more and more people that need Jesus. All right? So use discernment. Ask for discernment. Remember, you're not God. God is God. Trust Him. Okay? My job, I want with all my heart, I have a family member in mind, love Him with all my heart. I want with all my heart for Him to repent and accept and change right now. I want it. But you know what? I have to trust God. I don't stop praying for him. When an opportunity arises, I will have a conversation. But you know what? I don't just keep going to this one place and ignore everybody else. I just can't because God is God. God's going to change him. I trust my God. Right? My God is good. Is your God good? Do you trust him? All right. Let's expand the territory. Number three. Practice discernment. You know what Jesus did? Don't be afraid to follow Jesus. That's, that's what I'd say. You know, there were people that demanded miracles of Jesus and he wouldn't perform them. Yep. Practice discernment. There are people that demanded miracles of Jesus and, and he wouldn't perform, perform them. You know, he fed the 5,000. He crossed the lake. You remember what happened the next day? The crowd showed back up and they were hungry again. Jesus said, you just want a meal. I'm not going to give it to you. Nope. Right? You remember the Pharisees? The Pharisees watched Jesus. Listen, Jesus has, he has turned water into wine. He has raised dead people back to life. He has made the blind see, the lame walk, right? He's healed every disease in every village. And the Pharisees still have the gall to go to him and go, all right, if you're really the Messiah, one more thing. (laughs) Show us one more time. And Jesus says, you know what? You get nothing else. You're a blind guy. You get nothing else. The only sign I'll give you is the sign of Jonah. Just like Jonah was in the belly of the whale for three days, so the Son of Man will be in the belly of the earth. And they missed it. They missed it. Right? If Jesus, our Lord and Savior, used discernment and was okay with that, then we have to use discernment too. There are some people in your life that they are going to want to run your life and your time, and they're going to be, well, shoot, what about this or what about that? And there's some of those people, I've had some of those people in ministry, they just want to ask 50 million questions, and none of those questions are about the gospel. Not a one. And you know what I have to say to that person? In love, I love you. If you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, awesome. I will, I will, I will be with you for an eternity. But my understanding of the Bible is that there are 
hundreds if not thousands in our community that do not know Him as Savior and Lord. So I'm going to go pray and try to talk to them. Okay? Use discernment. Use discernment. It's a big deal. It's not unloving. It's not unloving. In fact, I would argue, some people say, well, isn't that unloving when somebody is just being difficult to just move on? No. I would say it's unloving to just focus on the people that you care about while letting the crowds go to hell. I would say that's the unloving thing. But that's just me. You guys pray with me.